Welcome to First Importance, featuring the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis. If you have your Bibles, would you turn them with me to Nehemiah chapter 1, and today we'll be looking at verses 4 through 11, Nehemiah 1, 4 through 11. I think that just about everybody in this room today, at one point in, their, in time in their life, has said to themselves, I wish that I could get a restart. If I could only do this over again. Am I alone? If you've ever said that, raise your hand. Come on, come on. All the rest of you are lying in God's house. Can't believe you. You'll hear some people saying, uh, they're asking the question, if, if you could do it all over again, would you do things differently? They say no, and I think you're, you don't have any sense. <laughs> of course we would do things differently. Doesn't pain and difficulty in our life teach us to do things differently? Well, I think there's a lot of people in here uh, who would say, I, I, I would like a restart on something. Maybe if you're a student here today, you would say, uh, I would like, if I could, go back just a few weeks and make better decisions about who I make friends with. Maybe there's a lot of adults who'd say that. Athletes in here, you'd say, oh, if I could just replay that game. If I just knew how to, how to play that game just a, a little bit better, if, if I was a little more aware of of what my opponent was doing, I would have had the upper hand. There's a lot of people in here today that if you could do your marriage over again, you would do things different. You'd be more intentional with the way that you spoke. You would be more passive with the things that have upset you or got on your nerves. You'd be more intentional to love and to care for your spouse. Everyone in here whether with your family or at work, in any point of life, there's some point that you've wanted a do-over. You've wanted to restart. And the book of Nehemiah is really about getting a, a, a new start. It's a restart. It's about God's provision during the midst of this restart. And, and what I would like to do over the next three weeks, three or four, okay, let me not back myself into a corner too early here. We have a mini-series called Making an Epic Start. Today, if you want to restart something in your life, if, if you want to be more intentional at your work with your employees, with, with fellow employees about sharing the gospel, if you want to be more intentional with your spouse, you want to be more intentional with your children, your grandchildren, whatever it is, I want today to lay out for you a master plan from the book of Nehemiah about making an epic start. You see the walls torn down behind me. We discovered last week, Nehemiah was in Susa, the, the winter residence of King Artaxerxes, and he was uh, the king's cupbearer, and he hears from his friends that the walls in Jerusalem are still torn down and burnt by fire, that the walls in Jerusalem have left the people without defense, have reminded the people of their failure, have reminded the people of what their future would inevitably be. Just torn down, broken down walls. And today we're going to see how Nehemiah responds. And from uh, 
uh, Nehemiah's response, I hope to glean for us today principles on how we can make an epic start. Not just an ordinary restart. That's what you did the first time. This time, we want an epic start. We want an epic restart. We want our restart to be wonderful and to be big and to surpass the scope of everything we've ever expected. And so if you have your Bibles, look with me in Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. Hear now the word of the Lord. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I in my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you have commanded your your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are faithful, I will... I will scatter you among the peoples. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. And to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Pray with me. Father, anoint me now for the preaching of your word, please. And speak to the hearts of your people. And I won't take any glory for myself, but I'll give it all to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today, we learn how to make an epic start. We begin our journey through this mini-series of making an epic start, and we begin where we should all begin. Where any epic start begins is with prayer. The title of our sermon today is Epic Prayer. And today, we're going to learn from Nehemiah some principles. There are many more principles that you can learn from uh, Nehemiah's prayer and from his prayer life all throughout this book. But I'm going to point out to you just a few principles that we can learn and apply to our lives so that we can be epic prayer warriors. Making an epic start begins with prayer. So if you're taking down notes, our first point today is this. You need to have prayer that takes priority. Prayer that takes priority. Listen, church, if you want to make an epic start, you need to begin right. You need to have prayer that takes priority. Look with me in verses 4 and 5. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You see, prayer has to take priority in the life of the believer. Prayer must take priority. 
if you hear anything today, you need to hear this. Prayer must be a priority in our life. Prayer is not a way of getting out of making plans. Because if you read the book of Nehemiah, and we, we can, we're going to study how the book of Nehemiah is, is, uh, is an expert. God gives him wisdom on how to make plans and how to organize and how to lead. But his priority is not with a plan. His priority with, is with prayer. And friends, I want you to know something today. You should not ask God to bless plans that you've not prayed about. You should pray to him and then make your plans. We should have prayer that takes priority. We have to stop treating prayer like it is the last resort. It has to stop being our last resort. I want you to hear this very plainly today. If you treat prayer life and your relationship with God like 911, don't be surprised when he uses tragedy to get your attention. If you're going to treat God, if you're going to treat your prayer life like you're only going to call him whenever there's an emergency, don't be surprised whenever he uses tragedy to get your attention. we got to stop allowing this to be our last resort. Prayer believer, listen to me. If you're making an epic start today, if you want to make an epic restart, it needs to begin with prayer. Prayer has to take priority. S.D. Gordon said, a famous pastor, said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. You see, we have to be people who prioritize prayer. Nehemiah did it. He gives us a, a template for what it means to make an epic start, and he has a prayer that takes priority. Don't listen to the world. Anytime a tragedy occurs, uh, a mass shooting occurs, the world will tell us, believers, they'll say, send us more than your thoughts and prayers. Don't listen to them. That's not, the world doesn't have that, doesn't have godly wisdom. They don't have good wisdom. If you listen to their advice, you won't know what bathroom to go to in public. God's wisdom is not their wisdom. There's nothing more that we can do for a lost and dying world than pray. There's nothing more that you can do for your family than pray. Prayer is not the last resort for the believer. And if you're, if you're wanting to make an epic restart, you need to have prayer that takes priority. That reminds me of really probably one of my favorite church members. One of my favorite church members here, his name is Jack McFarlane. Have you guys met Jack McFarlane? He's here today. Put a picture of Jack up there on screen. Jack is a dear friend of mine. I love Jack. Jack's in his mid-30s. Uh, he, he has Down syndrome. He's the sweetest and kindest young man that I've ever met. I love Jack. This week, I had an opportunity to take Jack and his dad, Mac, to go visit their mother, Laura, who, was, who had been admitted to the hospital for surgery uh, to remove a cancerous tumor in her breast. Uh, I took them there. I, I prayed with the family. I spent a little time with them, and then I had a few other errands to run uh, at, around lunchtime, and so I, I left. But Laura called me later, Miss Laura, and she said, Josh, I've got to tell you this story. They had prepped me for surgery. They had gotten everything ready to, 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 to send me back into surgery. And they said, Laura, we're going to allow uh, Jack and Matt to come back one more time and just be with you right before we send you back to surgery. And so Jack went back into the room and the, they were talking for a few moments and the 
the nurses and the doctors came in and they got around Miss Laura's bed and they began to take her out when Jack stood up and he put out his hands like this and he said, pray, pray. You know, that day, that day at Germantown Methodist, a bunch of people who probably have never responded to the gospel, likely, got a dose of what it means to have priority in prayer. And Jack did more in that moment than most church members, than most believers do in a lifetime when it comes to prioritizing prayer. Josh, I'm failing at this. I'm failing at that. I'm failing in my struggle with sin in this world. Is prayer a priority? If you want to have an epic start, you need to have prayer that takes priority. Not only is it a priority uh, in, in reference to what you do first, but it ought to be a priority in passion. You ought to have a prayer life that, that is filled with passion. If it is first in your mind to do, then it ought to be first in your passion. Enough with these weak prayers that have no passion behind them. Lord, I mean, if you care for something, you're going you're to have passion. Lord, please help me. I'm reminded of Luke 18, 6. Uh, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus is sharing a parable with his disciples. He says, there's this widow in, in this town, and she has been wronged. And a, and a wicked judge has given preference to someone who benefited him. It would not benefit her because she had nothing to give the judge. But this widow was persistent. You see, this widow kept going to the judge night and day, night and day. Give me justice against my adversary. Give me justice against my adversary. Give me justice against my adversary. And day after day, she was persistent. She wouldn't let it up until finally the unrighteous judge says, even though I don't fear God or man because this woman won't stop nagging me, I'm going to give her justice. And Jesus says, see, your father in heaven is not like an unrighteous judge. He says, hear what the unrighteous judge says in verse 6. And will, not the God give, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? If prayer is going to be a priority to you, it ought to be a priority in passion as well. It ought to be, you ought to be taking everything to the Lord in prayer, constantly going to him, not giving up. Guess what? Crittenden County isn't all saved yet. I don't know if you haven't gotten the memo. Guess what? The issue of racism in the United States is not fixed yet. I don't know if you've not gotten the memo. Guess what? The unborn are still being killed at massive rates. I don't know if you've understood that memo to its fullest. The best thing, the, most, uh, the, the thing that we ought to do with most priority is pray. Pray with passion. Constantly take it to him. Lord, save Crittenden County. Lord, save our unborn. Lord, provide righteousness. Provide uh, justice. Lord, take care of us. We ought to have prayer that takes priority. But not only do we learn from Nehemiah chapter 1 that we ought to have prayer that takes priority. But I, I think that we also learn in verse 5 that we ought to have prayer that prioritizes praise. Prayer that prioritizes praise. Look in verse 5. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. What's the first thing that Nehemiah does? Nehemiah has an unbearable burden on his heart. His hometown is in ruins. His kinfolk are scared for their life. 
in the very heart of the promised land. They are not living up to the promises that God had given to them. But his priority in prayer is what? Praise. The first thing that comes out of his lips or praise. As a matter of fact, he is so consumed with this praise that his request is not even mentioned. His specific request is not even mentioned until the end of this prayer. Let me ask you a question. How big is the problem in your life? How big are the problems that you are facing? Instead, instead of telling, or rather, I should say, before telling God how big your problem is, tell your God how big he is. Spend some time reflecting on how big he is. We sang this morning, how great our God. How great is our God. We sang a, 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 a lyric that's one of my favorites in all of it. That he did not spare his only son, but he gave up his son for us. Listen, folks, you would do well to prioritize praise in your prayer life. Before you ask God for one thing, not only should prayer be a priority for you, but you should prioritize praise. The book of Psalms is filled with praise. Psalm chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, the psalmist says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Do any of your prayers begin that way? Maybe they ought to. Maybe you ought to be spending time when you pray, prioritizing, praising him, telling him how good he is, how wonderful he is. And sometimes you don't feel it. But guess what? Your feelings do not direct facts. Because even if you're not feeling it, he's still on his throne. And even if you're not feeling it, he's still king of the universe. We ought to have prayer that prioritizes praise. Psalm 8 again says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? I, I love... Uh, when we come home late as a family from church on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights. Because oftentimes when the sky is clear there from our house, you can look up and you can see many stars. And I'll pick up Bo or Belle or whoever I'm closest to at that moment. And I'll look up and I'll point. And I said, look, what do you see? And they'll say, stars. I said, yeah. I said, do you know who made every one of those stars? And by now they got it. I said, yes, and that Jesus who made all those stars, he loves you. He made you. Listen, you should spend time in your prayer praising, but not only praising and just lifting up his name, but you're going to see that he has reverence here. Reverence is something that's gone out the window in our prayer life. In the prayer life of most Americans today, most Christians today has a decidedly lack uh, of reverence. Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, but I want you to remember who you're talking to. When you go to the Lord, he is your heavenly father. 
He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one who spoke everything into existence. He is the one who holds everything together. When you go before his throne in prayer, just because you can do it in your car doesn't mean that you shouldn't have reverence whenever you're talking to him. Just because you can do it from this pulpit like I'm doing even right now or from that pew where you're saying help him to get to the point doesn't mean that you shouldn't have reverence when you talk to him. We think that just because we can talk to him anywhere, we can talk to him any way we like, but we ought to have reverence when we come before the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we see this in Nehemiah. He says, oh, Lord God of heaven and of earth, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant, we ought to have reverence. First Samuel, verse 12, and chapter 12, and verse 24, Samuel says, only fear the Lord, fear the Lord. Serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. First Peter 2.17 says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. We ought to have a level of reverence and respect for the one who we don't even compare to. I, I think about, when I think about this point, I think about when Sarah and I were preparing to have both. I told Sarah, I said, I think I'm just going to have him call me Josh. <laughs> I mean, I like my name. I, I don't, uh, uh, you, can, you can call me whatever you like. You probably do anyways, okay? Uh, Josh is just fine. Uh, pastor's okay, brother's okay, but just Josh. I like to be just called Josh. I like my name. It's not a vain thing. I just, I like, I like my name. It's what I've always been called when People are happy, and then the other names I don't want you to even know about, okay? <laughs> but I told Sarah, I said, I want Bo to call me Josh. She said, no, no. This is one of her classic, Josh, you're talking about things you don't even know about again, you know, which is true. And, but then I held that boy for the first time, and I realized, to all of you, I'm Josh. But there's only two people in this world who call me Daddy. I want that name. I don't want him to call me Josh or hey you, Daddy. It's a term of respect. It's a term of love. When you go to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you ought to have reverence. Listen, if you're wanting to make an epic start, you need to have prayer that takes priority. You need to have prayer that prioritizes praise. But we also learn from the book of Nehemiah that we need to have prayer that produces repentance. Prayer that produces repentance. Look in verse 6. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house of sin. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Listen, Nehemiah's sin did not pull down that wall. Nehemiah's sin did not cause Jerusalem to be sieged and people to be taken back to Babylon. The walls had fallen probably in all likelihood before he was even born. And yet, Nehemiah is not going to say it's their sin. Too often we want to deflect other people have sin. No, no, he says, I've got sin. I've not kept your commandments. A priority to him was to have prayer that produces repentance, confession. 
Confession is often absent in our prayer life. Believers, we ought to be the ones confessing the most. You don't have to go to a special room and a special church to confess things. You can do it right here. Lord, forgive me of my sin. I have, I have access to you. Please forgive me of my sin. When you don't have prayer that takes priority and you don't have prayer that prioritizes praise, it's highly unlikely that you're going to have prayer that produces repentance. You see, it's kind of going order here. If prayer's not a priority for you, then you're never going to praise him. And if you don't praise him, then you're never, if you don't ever see how big he is, then you're never going to understand truly how small and how little you are. And I am. But rather, Nehemiah goes to him and he lays out his sins. You know, in your prayer life, if you ignore confessing your sin, you're going to have a problem. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Listen, if you're, if you're uh, bound and determined to continue to live in sin and live unrepentant, and then you have the audacity to go to the Lord and begin to request things, you should know if you regard iniquity in your heart, it kind of goes like this. Hey, you're missing the point. I want, you to, I want you to get to that part where you love me. I want you to get to that part where you're confessing your sin before you get to the what I want part. Confession is often absent in prayer, but it is essential in prayer. David says in Psalm 32, verses 3 through 5, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. You see, when he doesn't confess his sins, he feels the weight of God's judgment, of God's hand upon him. Every believer in here today, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, which if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit who's taken up residence in your life. When you sin, the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin and will keep convicting you until you repent of that sin. And sometimes our flesh kind of gets some calluses over them and we need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, remind me, show me those areas that I've forgotten about that I'm unaware of where I have sin." But your prayer life ought to include confession daily by the moment. Lord, forgive me. I have failed you. Uh, by the way, married, married folk, if you have something against your spouse and you're in an argument against your spouse, the Bible says that it hinders your prayers. All right? So go to him and pray all you like. But you need to go and fix those wrongs that you have made. And then come back to him. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses. And thank God for 1 John 1, 9 that says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You need to have prayer that produces repentance. Fourthly, you need to have prayer that recalls God's promises. Look in verses 8 through 10. Nehemiah will say, remember the words you commanded your servant Moses? And then he goes on to say, here's all these things that you said in your word. Nehemiah was familiar with God's word. And too often we go to the Lord in prayer and we're not familiar with his word. And so let me just kind of give you a, an understanding of why this is important. Why it's important to know God's word in your prayer life and to use God's word in your prayer life. Number one, we're instructed to pray for God's will to be done. How 
uh, uh, we, are, we are just absolutely instructed to do that. Matthew 6, 9 through 11, when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, he says, pray our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're supposed to pray for God's will to be done. But how can we pray for God's will to be done if we don't know anything about God's will? We ought to know God's word. That doesn't mean that we have to be familiar with every passage to pray. But if you want to have an epic restart, if you want to have an epic start, you need to have prayer that is familiar with God's word. That means you ought to be hiding it in your heart. That means you ought to be memorizing it. Keeping it in your heart, thinking about it. Think about our, our verse for, for this month. That we, that we are to say, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think. Are you hiding those words in your heart? We're instructed for, to pray for God's will to be done. We're promised if we pray according to his will, he will hear us. 1 John five fourteen says this, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything According to his will, he hears us. You ought to be praying for his will to be done. You can't know his will. You can't understand it if you don't know who he is. You can't know who he is by not looking here at the word. A few days ago, uh, we were getting out of my truck. I was taking Bo into preschool. And Bo has a little set of kid binoculars. And he was looking up in the sky. And I said, Bo, uh, uh, go ahead and set that down. We've got to get into daycare. We've got to get into preschool. And he was looking like this. He was looking so intently here in the church parking lot. I said, buddy, hey, we've we got to go. He said, hang, hang on. I said, buddy, what are you looking for? He said, Jesus. I said, well, that's good, buddy. But I pulled out my Bible. I said, buddy, you're going to find him here. I mean, he's going to come back in the sky. And we shall, as the song says, behold him. But you can, behold him, you can behold him now through his word. You need to have prayer that recalls God's promises. But I know we are so close to the end of our time. So let me move to our fifth point very quickly. Not only should we have prayer that takes priority, prayer that prioritizes praise, not only should we have prayer that produces repentance and prayer that recalls God's promises, but lastly, I want you to see that we should have prayer that is confident in God's power. Look at verse 11. Oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Now you probably did not catch this right off the bat. So I want you to notice two phrases. The first phrase I want you to notice is, this man. And the second phrase I want you to notice is, I was cupbearer to the king. Let's handle the last one first. The cupbearer to the king was a very important position. In this society, people wanted power, not unlike our own. And to get power, what they had to do was to ascend the ranks. Now, you couldn't just do it like you do here in America. It had to happen. If you wanted to be king, you had to do what? You had to kill the current king. And you had to hope that you had enough scheming and planning behind you to have enough people around you to keep the same thing from happening to you. And because people were constantly after his life, they instituted this position of the cupbearer. And his job 
though prominent, was to take the king's cup before every meal, before every drink, and after the wine was poured, to take a sip. And if he didn't die, the king could drink it. Pretty good position, huh? Hope that it has a lot of perks, because if that's a bad cup, then, uh, you know, it's over. That position was important. The king had to trust that person, had to put a lot of trust into the person who was his cupbearer. And if he had any inclination that that cupbearer had anything out for his life, guess what? Off with his head, no due process. I'm going to go find someone else that I trust. If, I even, if he looks at me crossways, I don't want to take a chance. He's gone. It's over. We're going to be looking for the new king's cupbearer. And Nehemiah says, that's me. That was my job. It was a position of prominence, but it was also a position of service. It was also a position where I had to rely on, on King Artaxerxes, who had come in a long line of kings who, who were powerful and who had overtaken the known world. But then notice the second, the, the, first, the first phrase I told you to look at. This man, here he is speaking of King Artaxerxes. King Artaxerxes and his predecessors had already commanded that Jerusalem to be stopped, uh, the rebuild of Jerusalem to be stopped for fear that they were going to usurp him. He was already paranoid that people would kill him. People would want to bring him death. It had already happened in his family before. It would happen afterwards. He was concerned it was going to happen again. He is the king over all of the known world at this time. All the Persian Empire has taken over, and King Artaxerxes is at the head. So do you get it now? No, you, you don't. Nehemiah has spoken so highly of God that when he comes to the king of all the earth, he says, this man. You see, he's already ascribed to the king of kings and the Lord of lords is. He's already said, I know who's really on the throne. So when I come to speak to you, Lord, about the person who has most authority and most power on this world, I'm going to use a much lesser term, and that is this man. How wonderful is that? You see, Nehemiah has confidence that God is good for his word. He has confidence that God is going to provide for him and take care of him. And we as believers ought to be confident in God's power. Don't pray like God can't save Crittenden County. Don't pray like God can't save your marriage. Don't pray like God can't save that child who's wayward. Don't pray like everything's lost and gone and, and your God is ineffectual and small and not powerful. Pray like Nehemiah, who says all of this world, all the power that's there, this man. This man. I may be low. I may be the cupbearer. But when it comes to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the power of this world is just another man. It's just another human being. We need to have prayer that is confident in God's word. Confident like our verse for this month. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think. Ephesians 3.20. We ought to have confidence like James tells us in James chapter 1 verses 6 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea 
that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You're to ask confidently. Josh, are you telling me if I ask confidently for that new car, I'll get it? Josh, are you telling me if I ask confidently, I'll be healed of this disease or my, my loved one who is, per- who is perishing, who is suffering from a disease is going to be healed? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that when we ask confidently, and when we ask in line with everything else we've learned today, we can be assured that God is going to work out his will and he's going to do it for our good and for his glory. Do you want to make an epic start? Do you need to make an epic restart? Let it start with prayer. Maybe you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You may call out to him today and try to pray for this request or that. But the Bible says that our sins have so separated us from God. Our sins are so wicked in his sight, Isaiah says, that whenever whenever we go to speak to him, he does not hear. But you know what God does hear? When you come to him and you repent of your sins and you call upon Jesus as Lord. Today, if you have not yet called upon Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, if you've not been reborn today, if you will confess your sins to Him, if you will commit to follow Jesus for all of your life, if you will commit to follow His Lordship, then today you can be saved. Jesus came, God's only Son, to this earth to live a perfect life and to die on the cross for you and for me. And on that cross, He carried the penalty, which is death, and hell, he carried the penalty for your sins and my sins on his shoulders. But on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. And he has promised to those whom he loves, yes, he hears us. And he promised to all those who repent of their sins, he will receive and he will make a new creation. And then you can have an epic prayer life. And then you can have an epic start. Thanks for joining us for this episode of First Importance. You're invited to check out our other sermons on this channel and, if you're in the West Memphis area, to join us for our Sunday worship at 1045 a.m.